Thank you very much, JT. Thank you, everybody. Please take your seats. And um, one million six hundred thousand dollars. I mean, goodness, it's amazing. I love this church family. Yeah, of course, I gave one point five million of all of that. But um, <laughs> what are you all laughing at? <laughs> Isn't it great that we all benefit from each other? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Wow. And you know, this, this church is the result of our Heavenly Daddy's generosity to us all. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we don't want your money um, because it's not enough. We're definitely a church that doesn't want anybody's money because we have a heavenly daddy who's way, way richer and way more generous than any human being. And, you know, I, we can testify as a church family, can't we, everybody, right? Because we know what it feels like to receive a check in, anonymously in the amount of $30,000. Uh, we know what it feels like actually to receive a check in the amount of $100,000 from an anonymous donate, don, donor. We know what it feels like to receive a single amount in the amount of $160,000. In fact, we know, not because we're clever, everybody, but we know what it feels like to receive a gift of over $300,000, a single gift. Think about that. I'm talking over the history of this church in 11 years. On top of that, we know what it feels like to receive a gift of $1.2 million in a single gift. Okay, let me, then on top of that, we know what it feels like as a church family to receive a gift of $5 million of equivalency right in this building. You don't honestly think that you and I have paid for this building, do you? Flesh and blood hasn't done this, everybody. Jesus is building his church through us. Think about it. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't have... $8.5 million to buy a building like this. But my heavenly daddy does. And he did it for us as a church family. Is there anybody in this room that's like remotely excited about that? Or is it just that, is it, is it just that talking about money in church makes you feel awkward? Well, get over your awkwardness. Okay? Because we're not dependent on each other's money. Isn't that wonderful? We all collectively have a good, good daddy who loves us and he wants us to have so many amazing blessings. Mm. You know, my, my message this morning is called The Perfect Gift. The Perfect Gift. And uh, I love Christmas time. I love it so much because I get so many presents. <laughs> I mean, I get to give so many presents. <laughs> I remember last year I was with this family. And you know when you think you're being clever and you're talking to a five-year-old and you realize that you're being a complete idiot <laughs> because you're not clever at all, because there's no need to be clever. This is a five-year-old, you know? I made the mistake of getting down on my knees and looking into their eyes. So, are you excited for Christmas? Yeah. What are you excited to give then at Christmas? I mean, it's, it's not my job to teach them that giving's better than receiving. But for some reason, I took it upon myself to teach a five-year-old right there and then. 
Oh, gosh, it's so embarrassing, isn't it, sometimes? Mm. But this morning, I, I want to seriously teach you about Christmas. Because Christmas is really about receiving God's indescribably gigantic, majestic, priceless gift of His Son to us. And we've all received the gift of Jesus Christ, eternal life Himself. You know, there was a, a man by the name of Thomas, and he said, Thomas, who's one of Jesus' disciples, he said, Jesus, I mean, Thomas said, Jesus, show us the way to the Father, and that'll be sufficient for us. And Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. A lot of people uh, would like to live for eternity. How many of you would like to live for eternity? I'm pleased to tell you that 2,000 years ago, eternity arrived and showed us that he has a name. His name is Emmanuel. His name is Alpha and Omega. His name is Mighty God. His name is Wonderful. His name is Counselor. His name is Prince and Prince of Peace. His name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. His name is the Glorious One, the Darling of Heaven. His name is Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, who is so eternally one with God that Isaiah prophesied, as my brother Murray loves to say, and I just think it's just such an awesome quote, Mark. He was so perfectly God in flesh that Isaiah says his name is mighty God. He so perfectly revealed the Father that he is everlasting Father. To know Jesus is to know the Father. To know Jesus, to believe in Jesus, is to experience the Father. And the best thing of all that I love about Christmas and the indescribable gift of Jesus is that not only has the Father given His Son to us, His eternal Son to us, to be our eternal best friend forever, our bridegroom forever, our King and our God forever, the expression of all the radiance of God's glory and all the exact representation of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit's being encapsulated in the man who is eternal God, Jesus Christ, forever and ever for us to enjoy. And as if that's not enough, he's gone overboard by giving to us the gift of the very relationship that the Father has eternally had with his eternal Son. The gift of that relationship, the relational equity and experience that the Father has always had with his Son and the Son's always had with his Father is the gift that God's given us that we might enjoy him like Jesus enjoys him and like the Father enjoys the Son. An indescribable gift. And all you have to do to unwrap that gift is just believe in Jesus. Just your simple belief in Jesus Christ who 2,000 years ago was born of a virgin, who grew up among men, was made in the likeness of sin, as, as he was made in the likeness of sinful flesh, according to Romans 8 verse 3. 
but he was perfect and never, ever sinned. Not once. Unlike every other human being that's lived, he never sinned once. And when I think about how he never sinned once, you see, if he had just sinned once, one tiny little sin, his death on the cross would have been for that sin. But you see, he never sinned. Though he was tempted in every way, as the writer of Hebrews says, he was without sin. He never sinned. He punched the devil so hard in the face that he never got up off the dirt floor. And then he mushed his head on the cross. And that perfect life has been given to you as the life that now qualifies you for eternity. That right now when God looks at you, he doesn't look at all the mess ups and all the screw ups that you've done. He looks at you and sees the life of his son Jesus. He looks at you and sees his perfect gift, the perfect gift of his son. When you unwrap the gift of his son Jesus Christ by just believing in him, from that moment the father credits to your life that you were the one who lived born of a virgin and lived in Israel and walked around doing good and was anointed with the Holy Spirit, Acts 10, 38, went around doing good and destroying all the works of the evil one. It was you that opened the eyes of the blind. It was you that raised Lazarus from the dead. It was you that died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. The Father has given that life to you that that's the life you lived on earth. You know why I know that for a fact? Because that's the only life that qualifies for heaven. And that's the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is not that you had a quiet time. It's not that you prayed hard enough or fasted enough. It's not that you were joyful enough or loving enough or kind enough. It's not that you have ever done anything. You, you, you've never been to church enough. You honestly think that that's what's going to qualify you forever in the eternal presence of perfection? That you read your Bible every day of your life? It's not enough, sorry. That's human pride that says that's enough. That's human religion that says that's enough. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God gave you enough, His Son, so that you, just by believing in Him and receiving that gift, you could unwrap it and take ownership of Jesus because He's forever take ownership of you. And He has made the sacrifice all the sacrifice that's ever required for you. Now, does that mean now that you've believed in him that you just sit on your backside, never pray, never fast, never go to church, never do? No, that's the spirit of stupid. <laughs> no, it's precisely because he's done all of that that you're going to want to pray more, that you're going to want to fast more, that you're going to want to feast more, that you're going to want to sing more, rejoice more, be in among community more, all of those things because of what he's done. But never let those things that you do ever enter your mind that it qualifies you or disqualifies you for eternity with God. What an indescribable gift. Come on, if there's anybody in this room that's happy for, to be one with Christ, then give God glory. The reality, though, everybody, is that the life of Jesus is not just a vertical life. The cross was not just a vertical act of redemption the cross was not just a vertical act of forgiveness of all of our sin. Did you hear me just say that? I said the cross was not just a vertical action of the forgiveness of all of our sin, though it was. 
by the, by the way, your sin and my sin is so much that the Bible tells us if it was all piled on top of each other, it would reach up into the clouds. What are you going to do about that on Judgment Day? You better believe that you have said thank you to Jesus because he's wiped it all out so that it actually doesn't even go up a quarter of an inch off the ground. There's a, there is no sin in your account of your life just because you believe in Jesus. And that, come on, that's enough to make me want to run around the whole church with excitement. Because you see, one tiny little sin would have caused you and I to spend eternity with God, uh, excuse me, spend eternity without God in hell. I'm so thankful for the mercy of Jesus that he's wiped out all of our sin. I'm so thankful to the blood of Jesus that's cleansed us all from all unrighteousness. And let me tell you something. You're not that nice. Sorry to have to break that news to you. You're nowhere near as nice as you and I often congratulate ourselves, especially when faced with how unpleasant others have been to us. Have you noticed that when other people are being unpleasant to us, Somehow it's a comfort, albeit a false comfort, that their unpleasantness is, is really a testimony of how nice we are. And, 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 and how do we know that? Because we look at them and go, I can't believe they're so mean and so nasty. And we forget that actually we're just as mean and nasty. Just in other ways to other people on other days or other occasions. Maybe even in the moment, giving our wrong reactions. We'll come to that. And that's the thing about Christmas, everybody. God gave us his son, Jesus Christ, and our belief in him has unwrapped Jesus to us forever. We've received him as God's eternal gift to us. But now he asks us, in light of that gift, would we please now go and give all of our Christmas presents to everybody else around us? The same gift of life, the same gift of forgiveness, the same gift of holiness, righteousness, mercy, grace. All of those gifts that come from the gift of Jesus to us, we now have the capacity in Christ to give him as a gift and his gifts to every single person on earth. See, the cross is not just vertical. The cross is horizontal. The cross has not just satisfied my relationship with God. The cross has satisfied forever my relationship with each of you and every other human being. Isn't that wonderful? Mm. Mm. I want you to turn to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 70 times seven times. Now remember, Jesus is speaking to a young fishermen. And 70 times 7 is a rather large number with a rather, rather large unfortunate calculation involved for him to have to figure out in his simple fisherman's mind. 
but it equals 490 times. And I want you to notice, okay, everybody, that when Peter comes to Jesus and the Scriptures have recorded this, Peter comes and he doesn't say to Jesus, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive the Romans? You know, in occupied Israel, which it was at that time with all kinds of skirmishes and even revolts that have happened. Why? Because the people, ancient Israelites, were seriously oppressed by the oppressors, the colonial Romans, a people of a different race, a people without covenant history. And there have been many, many people that had given their lives revolting against the Romans and in the struggle. And Peter... He doesn't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, how many times do we need to forgive the Romans? And that struck me. As I was preparing for this, he comes and says, talks to Jesus about family. Have you noticed that the real issue in our lives is really family? But when it comes to offense, and hurt, and anger, we take all of that family hurt, and family uh, instigated, and family poop, (laughs) and we project it into all kinds of anger, frustration, and expression of unforgiveness and judgment, railing on anything but family because it's way too close to the bone to talk about family. So let's talk about, let's talk about politics and how much that's upsetting us. Let's talk about this issue or that issue or the other issue that's going on out there around us. Because what we really want to express is I'm super hurt by my dad or I'm super hurt by my mom or I'm super hurt by my wife or my children or I'm super hurt by whoever close. But all we want to really talk about is out there. And the reality, everybody, Peter comes and he nails it. He says, Jesus, how much do I actually have to forgive Andy? Remember Peter's brothers called Andrew? Peter's like, how many times do I have to forgive Andy? You know, he's hurt me a lot. It's like, how many times does Murray have to forgive Duncan? I'll tell you a whole lot more than 490 times. Do you get what I'm saying, everybody? Because there's something about the way my husband hurts me or the way my wife hurts me that hurts way more than anybody else. Yeah, I might be frustrated by the governor or the president or the, 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 the whole nation or the judicial system or, or the, that nation over there or that race of people or whoever it might be or that church around the corner or even my own church or its leaders or whatever it might be. We could be upset about all of those things, but the reality is all of our upset stems from our undealt with upset from the closest people to us. And one of the biggest instigators of hurt against us is ourselves. 
And we're just mad with ourselves. I can't believe I did that. You stupid, stupid idiot. Why did you do that? I can't believe that you just reacted like that. I can't believe that you just said that goofy comment. Man, everybody at the party is going to be remembering that stupid, goofy comment. You're just a goof. Look at you, goofball. You're ugly too. I can't forgive you. You shame me. You hurt me can't forgive myself. I won't forgive myself. In fact, I'll never forgive myself for what I've done. Because what I've done is so terrible. It's worse than anything that anybody else has ever done. And we walk around under a cloud and it's a dark cloud full of poo. And diarrhea rains on us all day. Yes, you know it. It's true. That's what the sound of your voice agreeing with the enemy is. Self-inflicted diarrhea from a cloud of gloom above your head that's self-created. That Jesus eradicated on the cross. Took it all away and gave you a bright sunny day forever. Put a rainbow in the clouds above your head. The clouds that were in the distance. A distant memory of an ugly life without Christ, covered by a bow of covenant. It will never happen to you again. You will never be flooded on the earth again. You will never, ever have to deal with a flood of self-inflicted sin and shame and poop ever again. My covenantal bow. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servant. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents, everybody. 10,000 talents is really difficult to relate to, isn't it? What the heck is a talent? I've been searching for one in my life for a long time. That was for my elder youngest daughter's benefit because she likes punning. Well, our whole family likes punishing. We punish each other with punning. Anyway, my Bible tells me in the margin, the ESV, this particular one, tells me that a talent was about 20 years worth of labor, wages of a laborer. 20 years worth of wages for a laborer. Okay, well, let's just calculate that in today's Amounts, okay? All right? Now, many Bibles say different things. Why? Because we're living 2,000 years trying to translate the Bible, 2,000 years after the fact. Okay? So if you get upset that my Bible says something different to your Bible, take it to Jesus. <laughs> Listen to this message. And, but in my Bible, it says that a talent is 20 years worth of a laborer's wages. Put into U.S. terms in North Kakalaki, we're talking about, roughly speaking, $100 a day. 
100 days, $10,000. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. I've got, thank you, Murray. Murray just said wrong one. You're right. I'm describing the next one, the denarius. I'm, thank you, Murray, for that. Sorry about that, everybody. I've only had two coffees today. A thousand. One talent is 20 years' salary. That's 30,000 a year multiplied by how many? 20, thank you. $600,000, which equates to 10 thousand times 600, which is six billion dollars. Six billion dollars. That's what this man was forgiven. Six billion. Okay? Just say a lot of money. And by the way, let's not forget this is in an economy 2,000 years old. So it's not even the equivalency, but still. And since he couldn't pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife, his children, and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees and begging him, have patience with me, please. I promise you I'll pay back everything. And out of compassion for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the entire $6 billion debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants that owed him a hundred denarii. Now we get to what I was trying to describe just now mistakenly. A denarius, in my Bible, says about a worth is one day's wages of a laborer. Okay, so a denarii is approximately a hundred dollars in today's language. This was a hundred denarii. And so we're actually not talking about a small amount of money here, everybody. We're talking about 100 times 100, which is $10,000. Now, when, when I looked at that as I was preparing for this morning, I realized, oh, wow. The, Jesus is really acknowledging, actually, that the second man owed the first servant, the second servant owed the first servant actually quite a lot of money. I was just thinking it was like maybe 50 bucks or something. What was wrong with the guy that he couldn't just give back 50 bucks? No, this is $10,000, everybody. And you might have been forgiven $6 billion, but that brings you back to zero. And here he goes and finds his friend who owes him $10,000. That's a lot of money. What does this mean today to us? It means that you might think that Jesus has forgiven you so much that you could never repay him, but if you're not careful, that particular hurt that's done to you today still really hurts, doesn't it? Still hurts. And I realize that Jesus right here, he's not denying the hurt that people have done to us. He's not trying to say, hey, listen, it's, it's just 10 bucks. He's saying, no, this second servant owed $10,000. That's a lot of money. 
I acknowledge that this person, your mom or your dad or your brother or sister or this person that you trusted who's betrayed you and broken your trust forever, your first husband, your first wife or whoever they might be, I'm acknowledging in this scripture, Jesus is saying, that they really hurt you. In fact, they hurt you so much, it required the gift of my life to pay you for what they did to you. I paid it. And you see, that's the thing about the issues of life is that we can so easily think that, you know what, as Christians, I know I've got to forgive. Yeah, all right, sure. I forgive them. They're forgiven. You're forgiven. I forgive. (laughs) Forgiveness doesn't flow by burying hurt. Forgiveness doesn't flow by denying hurt. Forgiveness flows when you acknowledge that you've been hurt. Forgiveness flows when you recognize what is owed you. You see, the first, the master, the king said, calculate how much does he owe? Six billion dollars. See, the master forgave exactly what was owed. He didn't forgive something that he denied existed. No, he calculated the entire, the entire value and said it's $6 billion, no more, no less. It is $6 billion. Now that I know what you owe me, I can forgive you. And as Christians, we tend to just totally flake out. We don't even want to, the only time we want to calculate it is to serve our self-pity, but not to serve our forgiveness. And we always over-calculate in self-pity. And we under-calculate our own issues with others. Have you noticed how thin-skinned we are about what others have done to us and how incredibly thick-skinned we are about what we've done to others? When somebody hurts us, we're like, I just can't believe they did that. I just can't believe they did that. Of all the people that I could have never expected, it was that <laughs> Meanwhile, when someone comes to us and says, hey, listen, I just want to have a little, I, I don't know if you've realized, but actually when you said that, it really hurt, that, it really hurt your sister. Hurt my sister? That's ridiculous. My sister, she's so sensitive. She's way too sensitive. Just sensitive. All sensitive. She says, get over it. Send a message back to my sister. Get over it. It's not such a big deal. Stop making it into a big deal. Denial, anger, bitterness, hatred, unforgiveness, all of the things that we think are part of our normal everyday lives. They're not part of our everyday lives if we don't want them to be. And that's what Christmas is about. It's about receiving the indescribable gift of forgiveness of more than, much more than $6 billion. But Jesus is speaking hyperbolically in this because he wants us, he's saying to that, those people, what was owed the master was so big, he could never pay it. And the master in compassion forgave. And just like this servant, we having received the gift of forgiveness, When we go out and we find out that, oh my goodness, we're reminded, oh my goodness, see, 
My dad did that again. I knew it. My dad always does that. My dad never does that. If anything starts with always or never concerning another human being, watch out. There's probably a judgment very, very close by that's fueling that never and always. And you'll be surprised how many times you use that. Oh, that always happens to me. Oh, that never happens to me. Do you get what I'm saying, everybody? Oh, that person always hurts me. They never, they never understand me. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him $10,000 and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, please have patience with me. I promise I'll pay you back. But he refused and he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then their master summoned them and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? You see, you cannot have mercy from God when you're demanding justice against other human beings or for yourself. If you want mercy, you must give mercy. And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailer's or the torturers, it says in the notes of my Bible, until he should pay all of his debt. Then there's this crazy verse, everybody say, ooh. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you, hand you over to the torturers, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, or sister, or wife, or husband, or mum, or dad, or put whoever in there. Here's the thing, everybody, I want you to understand. This right here, this place that I've just stepped down to represents the law. The law is good. The law is perfect. The law of God. It's so perfect, it's, it's judged the devil himself. And the devil is confined to this realm of the law. He can't get out because he's judged by it and held captive under the law. And you and I were held captive by the law. In fact, we were such lawbreakers, each one of us, that the Bible tells us in the book of James, chapter 2, that if you break one tiny bit of the law, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. In other words, if you've lived a perfect life, except you told one, one tiny little lie for convenience to get out of a situation, you are now a murderer. You are now Adolf, guilty of worse sin than Adolf Hitler or anybody else that's ever lived that you think deserves eternity in hell because we're all judged by that law. Thank God that Jesus stepped out of this realm of heaven, this realm of grace, this realm of love where the river flows. Thank God the son was willing to step into this realm of the law, be born under the law, born of a woman, born under the law, and then live out the perfect life that you and I couldn't live and then pay the price on the cross so that mercy flowed from Emmanuel's veins and he paid the price of eternity in hell for you with his life and his precious blood. And then having paid that price, the Father raised him from the dead and raised you and I from the dead with him. And as Christ rose from the dead and rose up and ascended into the presence of the Father, he laid many, led many sons in glory May led many sons to glory, Hebrews 2 verse 10, and now all of us are in this wonderful, beautiful place of grace and blessing 
as long as we're willing to be like him and exercise the perfect gift, forgiveness. Because the moment we refuse to forgive, when Murray hurts me again, and I sought Murray out, God sought Murray out. Look what's happened to me. Look where I am, everybody. I'm no longer in that realm of grace. I'm operating down here in the realm of the law. When I was in grace, I was so hidden in Christ, finding me for the devil was like looking for a light bulb in, in the sun. But now I'm here. He's like, aha, I see you. You're my prey. And life turns miserable as he tortures me in all the ways that justice demands I'm tortured because I have the very sin that I'm accusing Murray of. And if I say, God, get Murray, I'm saying, God, get me too. And the devil, he's, he's not a gentleman. He's not a lady. He's full of hate and full of evil, and he can't stand you. And all he wants to do is destroy your life, and he'll use anything and anybody, anywhere, to destroy your life. But he can't in Christ, in that realm of grace. He can't touch you. You're the untouchable one. As long as you stay in this realm of grace, that means be quick to forgive and be slow to be angry. You get hurt. You turn and look at Jesus. Jesus, the mercy you gave me. Not just the mercy Mercy here, where I didn't get what I deserved, eternal condemnation, but grace in which you brought me up to everything that I don't deserve. Eternal life with you, Jesus, I'm going to trust you to take care of what Murray's done to me, or what my wife's done to me, or what my mom or my dad have done to me, or what my neighbor's done to me, or what the government's done to me, or the president's done to me, or whoever it is that's an issue in your life. Let Jesus deal with it and receive and stay in his gift of life and keep giving the gifts that he's empowered you to give. Forgiveness, grace, mercy, love, holiness, righteousness, redemption, wisdom, you name it. Amen, let's stand. Hardest person to forgive is often ourselves. Sometimes... It can be God. I want you to know that it's impossible to forgive God because God's never done anything worthy of your forgiveness. However, despite his perfection, we can walk in the sin of unforgiveness towards him. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like this. Things happen in our lives. Tragedies. Things happen in other people's lives, tragedies. We take those things, we don't know how to explain them, and instead of running to a loving heavenly daddy and just leaving it with him and letting, knowing that, you know what, you promised to work all things out together for good. I can't figure out what's gone wrong here, but I trust you that you're good. You see, I want you to understand, everybody, that forgiveness is not just a matter of, you know, having 
forgiveness in your heart to somebody because they've done wrong, therefore forgive. Forgiveness is a revelation of the goodness of God. Forgiveness is a revelation that God is good, God is rich, God is tender, God is kind, God's got everything. God's got you. And he will work all things together for your good. Romans 8 verse 28. Unforgiveness is the language of orphans. Forgiveness is the language of sons and daughters. So we have this way, don't we, of saying, God, if you really love me, how come you let that happen to me? How come you let that happen to me? Why did you let my marriage blow up? Why did you let my parents' marriage blow up? Why did you let my children's marriage blow up? Why did you, why did you, why did you, why did you, why won't you, why won't you, why won't you? Do this, do that, do the other, God. Mm-mm, doesn't work like that. That's called unforgiveness against God. Blaming and condemning God, who you don't know, who's infinite goodness. Just let it all go. All that, I blame you, God. Let it be, thank you, God, that you paid for it all at the cross. I don't understand it, but I trust you. And I let it all go. Let's close our eyes, everybody. There's not one of us in this room that doesn't have somebody that we need to forgive. This Christmas. You've given your life to Jesus. You've unwrapped the Father's Son, and the Holy Spirit's indescribable gift, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Unwrapped and given to you forever. But in that love, in that life, in that grace, in that mercy, we're going to give those gifts to everyone else. And it is a gift that they don't deserve. If if they deserved it, we'd have to call it reward. They don't deserve it. That's why we call it forgiveness. I want you to say this, each one of us. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. The truth is, I've been very hurt. Get in touch with that hurt for just a moment. Jesus said, unless you forgive from your heart, not your head, from your heart, Heart is where our emotions are. Father, say this with me, Father. I thank you for the indescribable gift of your son, Jesus. Your forgiveness of me. My gigantic sin that reaches the clouds. You've wiped it all away. The truth is, though, in my hurt, where others have hurt me, where I've hurt myself, where things have happened that I've blamed you as if you'd hurt me, Lord, I've sinned against you. I ask that you'd wash me in the blood of Jesus. Now, just let that precious blood cleanse you from all unrighteousness right now. All the effects of your wrong reactions to sin. I think about Jesus and how he never once reacted sinfully to the sins of others. Let that blood cleanse you now. And I want you to look at that person, yourself, 
and the Lord in, the, in your mind's eye. And I want you to join me in giving them a gift of forgiveness. Say their name under your breath. And just say, I'm going to say, Duncan, you say their name. And unless it is me, that's fine if it is. Then say Duncan. But if it's somebody else, say their name. Dad, mom, whoever. Say this with me. Duncan, I forgive you. I unreservedly forgive you. You owe me nothing. I cancel the debt this Christmas. I cancel the debt. You owe me nothing. I release you. And I bless you. In Jesus' name. No longer will I live my life according to the excuse of your hurt. I let it go. I release you now. And I bless myself. I release myself. I forgive myself. Release myself and bless myself. And I, re I forgive you, God. I release, I, well, I release you from my unforgiveness, God. Say that with me. I release you from my unforgiveness. No longer will I blame you. No longer will I condemn you. No longer will I accuse you. I let it all go. I release you now. And I bless you, God. I open my heart up. Fill my heart with your love. With your goodness this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say this over each of you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless every person in this church family, our church family. We're family together, Lord. I bless every single life in this room right now, in Jesus' name. And where the enemy has had an open door into your life and has been stealing, killing, and destroying, I shut that door in the name of Jesus in your life. I rebuke the devourer off of you in the name of Jesus. The Lord rebukes you, Satan, and we cast you off. And in Jesus' name, I release you into the full blessings of Abraham in Christ Jesus, the covenantal blessings of God. I bless you to prosper. I bless your health. I bless your finances. I bless your relationships. I bless everything in your life. I bless your body in Jesus' name. I declare you blessed in Jesus' name this Christmas. Amen.